Good morning, Forest Park. Ooh, it's going to be a tough crowd. Hey, it's good to see you guys today. If you are just joining us, whether you are here in the room or whether you're online, we are so glad you are here today. What an honor it is to uh, be together. This is part four of our series, The Secret Sauce. We've been talking about ingredients that make up healthy relationships. Now, if this is your first time here uh, and you're thinking, well, wh you know, where's the sermon? I thought you would come out and start speaking. Well, we have been doing so the first three parts of this series, but today we wanted to do something a little bit different. What we wanted to do is take some questions that you have and say, hey, let's, let's do what we can to address some of these questions about relationships, whether that is a relationship within a marriage or whether that is a relationship between friends or whether that's a relationship between parents and kids or siblings or whatever. So we've got some questions that people have submitted and we are just going to work our way through some of these questions. And hopefully, even if you didn't ask the question, it will still either answer a question that you have or it will address something close to what you are thinking. That's our goal, okay? I want to introduce to you uh, the people that you will be hearing from today uh, at my table, and then Lana will introduce those at her table. This is Preston and Carla Beth Waller. Let's give it up for them, please. You just heard from Carla Beth a moment ago as she was leading worship today, and this is Preston. Preston is our student pastor at Forest Park, and believe it or not, we are coming up in just a couple of weeks on their first year anniversary here at Forest Park. It's hard to believe they have been here a year. And what's interesting is their first Sunday at Forest Park was the first Sunday we closed down with the pandemic, okay? So they come in and we go, okay, we're not having church again, and we didn't for seven months. So uh, their entire first year has been a, quite an interesting journey as we've not had service, didn't have our next gatherings for our students, and we've been doing things online and trying to do all kinds of different things, and then all the social distancing since we came back in October, and then we canceled again in December, and it's, it's been an uphill and uh, a tough battle, so the entire time they've been here, but I think they've handled it really, really well. And we've got Carla Beth's family in the audience today, so we're very glad, mom, dad, sister, if you want to give them a hand, they're here today as as well okay so they're gonna they're gonna be addressing uh, they're gonna be addressing some questions and some answers today all right Lana and at my table I have Josh and Gabby Lasseter you can give it up for them um, Josh you heard him on keys and uh, singing do it again one of my favorite songs Josh also serves on our directional team here at Forest Park that helps kind of govern and kind of guide some of our focuses. And I would say Josh is one of the best leaders I know in his work. And his beautiful wife, Gabby, spends her day with their lovely daughters, three little girls, and inspiring women to find their best selves. I would say helping them discover their why when they have forgotten some of the things that they need to remember to put themselves on the list. So we are very fortunate to have both of these couples today. And one of the reasons we chose these couples uh, had to do with where they are in life. We all represent different places on the, in the journey, or I should say on the journey of marriage and relationship building. Carla and uh, Preston have been married coming up three years this coming June, so only about two and a half years. No children yet, all right? So they, they have a rude awakening coming. And can I hear it, parents? Okay. But anyway, they, uh, they have not uh, chosen yet to you know, have kids and kind of begin that journey. So they've been married two and a half years. Gabby and Josh uh, have been married about 12 years, is that right? And they have three young daughters. So they're in a different place in their marriage. And then Lana and I, of course, we've been married 30 years and have three adult children. So we are in different places and two grandkids. 
So we're all kind of at a different place. And I know that when I was Carla Beth's and Preston's age and Lana and I first started out uh, getting married and, and, you know, in ministry, we saw things differently than we see them today. And we've gained a lot of experience and we've done some things that we're going to do the best we can to help you not do, you know, mistakes and all those different things. And you can learn from our wisdom. Okay, so that's our panel and that's what we're doing today. So we want to jump into... Uh, the questions we have. Now, in the first service today, some of you might have stayed around uh, for this service because we've got some different questions. And the reason why is we had a number of questions and we couldn't get to all of them in the first service. I am going to ask the first question today that I, uh, in this service that I ask in the first, and then we're going to jump to about three others that we didn't get to in the first service, okay? And, oh, that's right. We also have, thank you, Preston. We also have a number you can text in. If you have a question, Anytime during this, you can text the question to that number, and if it is a decent question, a good question, <laughs> it'll, it'll come to my phone, and I'll do the best I can uh, to address your question. I had a question come in in the first service at the very end, and we did not have time to get to it, so we're going to in just a moment in this uh, service. Okay, so here's, here's the first question we're going to begin with. Uh, a wife attends church and wants her children to attend church because she wants her children to have a positive experience with church. Uh, she loves going to church. The wife enjoys her relationship with God and loves what she's going on in the church. Here's the tension. The husband doesn't want to go to church. He, he's not really interested in going. He goes only to pacify her. He goes because to her it's important and... You know, he shows up every now and then. But every time they go together as a family, there's tension. Every time they go together as a family, there, there's an argument, there's, you know, etc. So we want to talk a little bit about the tension that creates and maybe some things we can do uh, in that. And maybe you're in that situation yourself. So let's, let's talk, guys. What do you say? Yeah, I mentioned this last service, and I think it's so true that... Um, if the spouse is, is feeling that way, um, I think part of that's on the church, right? And so I would encourage you as a couple to find a church that works for you. And, and we hope that that place is here. We hope that you find a way to like meaningfully connect with other people and, and connect with God. But if, if, the, if the church is not uh, the place for, if that's the reason, uh, where two or three are gathered together, God is there, right? And different churches serve different needs for different people at different places in their lives. And so uh, find the church that works for you as a couple. But I think, it, again, it's so important to um, not just that going to church, but there are, there are going to be times in your marriage where you do go to things because the other one wants to and you don't. Like that, And um, that's part of just a strong, healthy marriage. I mean, very rarely are... Uh, men and women wired the same way where they're going to want to go do the same things, right? Uh, but what marriage is about is uh, really appreciating what the other person uh, wants and likes and supporting them in that. And so again, if the church is not doing its part to make you hungry to come back, find the church that does. But don't make it about not doing it because she wants to. Um, it, we can get really, uh, really quickly get into a spot where we're, we're kind of acting out of spite or acting passive aggressively and so find the place that's home for you and, and, and go. That's good. Anybody else? My wife said I had to answer this question. <laughs> so, um, 
No, I mentioned in the last service again, I, it's going to help your husband. I'm just going to speak directly to this situation. Uh, it's going to help when they get plugged into the church. Um, we don't see church as just a Sunday experience that we get for an hour and go home, but we see church as a community, a body of believers. God's built us for community so that we can be with one another. Um, and, and some big steps that, that could help with that is joining a small group, getting plugged in, serving alongside people. Um, I know if that's with the situation, the husband may not want to come, so asking him to join a small group or start serving may be a big step. A little step to help him get connected and get to know people and I, I've said this in one of my messages uh, a couple months ago is man when you come to church don't just beeline it straight for the auditorium and beeline it straight to your car after we dismiss you like hang in the lobby talk to some people um, introduce yourself just casual talk small talk like what it's what what you've been doing what do you do for work did you catch the sports game did um, what's going on in you and your wife's lives how are you guys doing because when you stop and slow down and you start to have those conversations with people around you you start to remember faces you start to remember names and those connections become easier it's always easier for us to step away and leave a church when we don't have friendships at that church when we have connections to the people in the seats around us it becomes harder to say eh you know, I won't, I won't go to church today, or, eh, you know, my wife can go and I'll stay home. So you have to make connections. You have to be intentional with that. You can't just come in and expect to make 10 friends on a Sunday morning, but it takes time too, so it requires patience as well. It's good. Part of this question had to do with the fact that this woman's uh, teenage kids did not want to come to church with her. And that was a struggle, number one, watching their dad not be very engaged for whatever reason. But one of the things that I would encourage is to make sure that the only time that we're talking about Jesus and the only time we're talking about God is just not on Sunday mornings. But that church in a relationship and putting a focus on that is every day of the week. Because what kids need are, they need predictability. They need to know that it's not something that church is just... Uh, you know, so it just happens one down a week, you know, that they come to, because then they're like, who is Jesus and why are we here and why are we talking about him? Because I hadn't heard about him all week. And so it's important for uh, parents to put a priority on that so that they don't feel so awkward. All right, somebody else? All right, one thing I want to, to mention. Oh, sorry, Gavin, I didn't see you. I didn't see you over there. Apologize. I'll try to make that Go right ahead. Go right next ahead. Time. Sorry. Uh, so I grew up with a single mom. So she wanted us to go to church, so she made it happen. Um, but before she was a, a single mom, she went through this experience. My dad begrudgingly would go to church, sometimes not go to church. So what I can tell you is if you are the mom or dad in a relationship like that, and you're taking your kids to church and you're thinking, oh gosh, like what is, you know, what, is, what am I modeling that I'm going and they're not, it matters. So, and I know it's hard, but what your kids are seeing is that this is important to you, and you can't, you can't control what they decide later, but you can control what you're doing now, what you're modeling for them now. And also, too, I think it was mentioned about don't be passive-aggressive to your spouse about it. Uh, that's not very Jesus-like. You're never going to guilt or shame anybody into doing something. We can't change people. We can't change their mind. All we can do is model God's love and just hope and pray that in time they will come around on their own. It's just like trying to get someone to uh, quit smoking or do anything. You can't make anybody change. All you can do is love them where they are and then wait for God to do the work. 
All right, anybody else? Well, and, it, and it, again, you don't have to like church, right? You don't, he doesn't have to like church immediately. He can like computers, right? And he can like playing music. Uh, he can like building sets for the stage. Um, there are so many ways, uh, to, to press this point, there are so many ways to not get plugged in if you're not looking, but there are also so many ways to get plugged in. And it's in those pockets of serving and volunteering on stuff that you like to do that you develop... The church goes from 500 people to five or six close people that you know you're going to be serving with on a weekend. Yeah. And I think that's just really important. You know, often uh, one of the issues that, that men have with coming to church when it uh, you know, gets a little tense at home is because often the men think that they have to become like their wife and the way they experience church. For instance, um, many men are not that emotional and they go to church and wife might be crying in the service or you know singing these songs and the husband doesn't know these songs and he's not really a crier and he's not really emotional and he's thinking man I got to go to that place and everybody's crying and all that kind of stuff and I, I think it's important to give people permission to be themselves and you, you don't have to do that I, I say people listen if, if you like to lift your hands during worship lift them if you don't that's okay if you want to stand stand if you want to sit sit uh, it, it, you be you, okay? And, and God knows where you are. He knows your makeup. He knows the way you think. Uh, he knows the way you feel or don't feel. It's all right. There is no standard of emotion you have to have. You don't have to cry. You don't even have to know the songs, okay? You, you can just stand there, sit there, whatever. It's absolutely fine. We honor you and we respect you. And we're actually glad you're here. Uh, whether you give anything, sing anything, say anything, in fact, I love to have people present who disagree, uh, not with what I preach, but what Preston preaches or someone else. That's everybody. That's everybody. <laughs> but, you know, I enjoy people seeing different perspectives. And, and we've had people in the past, and, and, you know, this is obviously a military town, and the Coast Guard come in, and they go out, and they're here for a few years and transfer. We've had people come in where the wife, as soon as they moved into, into the, to the city, you know, began to look for a church for her family. And the husband didn't necessarily have that as a value maybe in his life, but we've had in the past come, the man come, and I think of one particular situation where he didn't even buy into the faith at all. He didn't even necessarily believe in many of the things that the church uh, presents, but he got involved behind the scenes and helped with computers, took the knowledge he has at work, helped with computers, helped with tech, and was a huge benefit to Forest Park and helped us in so many different areas. And uh, it was just a beautiful relationship we had, and yet he didn't necessarily profess faith in Christ at all. Uh, but he worked with his family because he loved his family, and it was, it was important for them to be present, and he could use his skill set to help the community and to do out outreach and missions and all these different things. So anyway, you know, just, just work together and value your family, and, and it'll, it'll come together hopefully a lot better than what you're experiencing right now. All right, we can, we can talk about that a long time. I want to jump into some questions we didn't get into uh, in the first service. Here, here's, here's one. A couple of weeks ago, this was in part two, you talked about self-awareness. How do you go about becoming more self-aware and also helping your spouse become more honest and more transparent? That's a huge question. So how do you become more self-aware? It's important, but how, how do you get there? I'll start with that okay. one. Well, the first thing is that you cannot make another person self-aware. You cannot help your spouse become self-aware. Um, you have to start with your own, um, 
your own space in the world. And I would encourage self-awareness comes from closing your mouth and observing what is happening around you and learning how you respond. You know, one of the things that you've probably heard before is that whatever is inside of you, when you get bumped, that comes out. Start paying attention to what comes out when you get bumped. Um, I would say to, um, Preston mentioned this in one of his next nights, that when you're on an airplane and the oxygen bags deploy, you're always supposed to put yours on first so that you can help the people beside you. So if you know yourself well, and like Lena said, you know those things, it's going to be easier for you to be self-aware of what you know and what you feel, and then you can pretend, then you can go to listen to your spouse and listen to where they're at and try to come to a common ground. So I just want to make sure that you're always focused first on yourself because you know what you're going to say, you know in your mind, you know what you feel, but now it's time to listen to your spouse or your friend or whoever it is that you're in a relationship with so that you can come to a common ground. So. Um, a couple of things real quick. I'll give you some real practical things. Um, not that they have it, I'm just saying some things that come to my mind. Um, uh, Proverbs 11 says there's wisdom in the counsel of many. Um, surround yourselves with trusted, God-fearing people who love you and will tell you. For me, it's easy because I have my wife. But for those of you who aren't married, maybe single in the room, man, you've got to find some godly friends that will call you out and will tell you honestly, look, man, you've got to get this under control. Or you may not notice, but when... This happens, this is your instant response, and that's not healthy for your marriage, it's not healthy for your friendship, it's not healthy for your work. The more we surround ourselves with trusted people, I'm not saying just ask anyone on Facebook and take a poll and say, hey, what are some of my issues? But what I am saying is find some trusted people in your life um, that you, you can lean on and, and learn from. And if that's a little uncomfortable for you, some other things that I do, and this is easy for me and Scott because we're fives on the Enneagram and learners, uh, just some resources Man, find some books that can help you become self-aware. For many of you who don't know me, obviously, a lot of you because I've only been here a year. Um, you know, I typically have my wife, well attest to this, have a short temper. And so my temp temper can go like that. And so, you know, I bought a book about uprooting anger and finding uh, relief from that and reading those and studying from people who have done research on that. If that's kind of outside your comfort zone, you don't like to read. The Enneagram, which we, we talk a lot about on here, which is a personality test, tells you about kind of who you are, what you believe, how you react, how you believe, how you see the world. There's a podcast called Typology that every episode there's someone on there who's talking about famous people who are fours, fives, eights, talking about this is how I see the world. This is how I've learned to become more self-aware of how I see the world and how I've learned to navigate through those things. So there are resources out there from people, professionals, way more qualified than any of us on stage to be able to tell you, hey, this is how, especially Scott, um, but there, there are resources out there for you to dig into in your free time. On your car ride to work, you know, turn on a podcast and listen and just absorb and apply those things. There are resources out there to help us with these things as well. That's good. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, the, other, the thing I would add is um, try to internalize and think about, like, what are you expecting? Like, before something happens, what are you expecting and why are you expecting that? Because as you enter a relationship, up until that point, you're the culmination of all the experiences that you've had independently. You're the culmination of all the upbringing you've had, the parents that were present or not. And, and again, Gabby and I um, come from two pretty different backgrounds. And so um, certainly I entered the relationship with expectations that were based on what I saw from my parents. 
but Gabby and I are not them, right? And so having the awareness, I mean, part of awareness is as you enter a situation, particularly one that might be tense, is what, do, what am I expecting to happen as one piece of this relationship and why am I expecting that? Am I expecting it because we've talked about it and we've fleshed through it and that's what we've agreed to or am I expecting it because that's how I was brought up? Or am I expecting that because that's how I see other people act? Because those influences aren't necessarily, um, they might be right, they might be wrong, but I think we need to be aware of what we're expecting and what caused us to expect certain behavior between us and our spouse. Very good. All right, um, here's another question that I think will apply to a variety of you. Uh, please talk through what to do when you have been patient, loving, kind, forgiving, understanding, uh, to the best of your ability, with a difficult person, and none of it seems to help. It's like it, they continue to be difficult, they continue, I guess it, it addresses friendship, it also addresses boundaries. Um, Talk a little bit about maybe you've got a, had a difficult person in your own life and you've tried your best to love that person, hopeful they'll change, I guess, hopeful they'll come around, and they don't. The first thing I, I again, I go back to the self-awareness aspect is that realizing that the world is full of difficult people and you and I are them and understanding that we are all difficult in some area, in someone's opinion. And so realizing that awareness, it causes you to have immediate compassion for a perspective or a difference of opinion. Difficult people are only difficult because of what they've been through and the way that you do or don't understand what they've been through and it causes you to react in a certain way. And so again, I would, I would just say that would be the first step. And then I feel like the second step would be pray. <laughs> just pray about it. Um, I've got to the point where I've had friends that have been difficult um, and I know that I've loved them and I've done all I can do at that point to fix that relationship or to restore that relationship <laughs> or make things work. But then I have to reach a point where I'm like, I've done all I can do, and now I just need to pray and hope that their eyes are opened. I mean, there's nothing, you can't put yourself out constantly and get rejected for that. You can't, you can't put that in your life. So honestly, at that point, pray for them and say, Jesus, like, take the wheel. You know, like, you've got to work this relationship out. I'm going to keep loving them where they're at, but at this point, it's going to be between you and them that we have to fix this. I keep coming back to this. You can't change anybody. You are not responsible for their reaction. You're not responsible for their feelings. You have, Lana talked on this, you have to set those boundaries. And sometimes there's gonna be situations where you can't physically be removed from those people. You work with them, they're in your family, whatever the situation is, uh, but you can control what part of the conversation you engage with or you don't. Um, you can control uh, how you respond to people on social media. <laughs> uh, you can control what you are consuming. Uh, so if you are, and I talk about social media because that's how I 
run my business. So I have a lot of people who uh, will go, oh, this person, this person, and you know what they're seeing on social media starts really impacting their attitude and their attitude towards people. You know, a really easy boundary is the un unfollow button and this news button <laughs> on Facebook. And sometimes you have to do that in real life, and that's okay. Because if you don't protect <laughs> your mind and your heart, you're going to just grow angry and resentful and start holding grudges and letting things just boil up until that relationship might fall apart when otherwise it might would be okay. I think um, for me, I'll say a couple things and taking context, this is in, with all the advice we've already, we've gone out there. So don't just take it with that context. Um, I'm not trying to get Jesus Yuki. If I was going to preach, I'd tell them I'll go backstage and I'd be up here. But um, I, I think for, for us, we have to change our mindset on that question because when we love people or patient with people, show mercy to people in hopes that they change, I think we have to switch our mindset to saying, I love, I serve, I show grace and mercy because that's what Jesus did for me, not to get a result back. And as a pastor, that's hard. I mean, there are a lot of times I'm patient with volunteers, with students, with um, people in the congregation because I'm trying to help them, but at the end of the day, I can't help other people like we've said. And I think it's important that we, we take into context, Jesus loved us even when we were sinners, Romans 5, 8, even yet when we were sinners, God loved us. So we, he loved us before we even changed, before we even became a Christian. So for us, when we love, we serve, we're patient with people in our lives, we have to keep in context. We're not doing it so they'll change. We're doing it because that's what we're called to do as faith-based people, as followers of Christ. And then secondly, it's just something I've learned practical that's helped me with this is learn to, again, with boundaries last week, we talked all about it, but man, learn who to let sit at your table in your life. Learn to let, be careful about who sits at your table. What I mean by that is be careful how many people you let close into intimate spaces of your life. So if someone is difficult with you, if someone is someone you're, quote, trying to fix, man, maybe it's time to move them away from the table. Maybe it's time to create some boundaries, to create some space, and to realize, hey, I can keep you in my life, but not this close, not this intimate, not this uh, into my personal space. There have been many times with people we've been texting, and I've gotten arguments with them, not arguments, but it's got a little heated disagreements. And I just had to stop texting them. I said, okay, you know, it's getting too emotional. It's getting too much. At this point, I'm cutting it off. At this point, I'm intentionally ghosting you, as the kids say, because it's not getting anywhere. So we have to be intentional with creating those boundaries too. Good. Very good. Thank you, guys. Here's a couple questions that have actually come in during this service. Um, and we want to address these. Uh, my spouse and I have been best friends with a husband-wife couple for over 20 years. How do we negotiate the relationship today when we've developed and matured in a relationship with Christ and they do not seem to be as interested themselves in the relationship with Christ? That's what it sounds like. Uh, the couple has developed a relationship together, but this other couple they're friends with and have been friends with them for 20 years, they don't seem to be growing spiritually with them. That's how I understand the question. Hopefully I, I read that correctly if you're, if you're sitting here. That's a great question. <laughs> you want to start? So um, I don't think uh, being a Christian or not decides who you can be friends with. You know, and, and I don't think anyone does. But I, I think we're called to, to um, serve and love uh, and, and be examples with our relationship. And, and, and to the extent that 
uh, church becomes a barrier, then we're no longer a witness, right? And so I think we uh, meet and maintain friendships where they are, um, and and hopefully, kind of to, to a point Gabby made earlier, like that we're modeling um, love and joy and involvement in the body of Christ here in a way that's attractive, you know, because because church and the experiences here and the groups and the relationships we establish with other couples, with other friends here in the church should be attractive. And if, and if that's not happening, then, you know, we should look inward and we should see what that means. But again, I think it's make, again, taking the church down from 500 to five or 10 and really establishing healthy relationships, both inside the church and outside the church. And also being the same couple and the same person individually that you are here outside the church, you know, and, um, I, th- I think that's really important. I, I don't think there, are, I don't think there are many environments that are off off limits necessarily. You know, it's just really how you handle yourself and your self control and self awareness. Because I think it's very important to um, I don't know how to say this. Like, it's a one sided thing if your only relationship with that couple is inviting them to church, right? I mean. That, that's, that's different, that there's, there's common ground out there that has to be established before they're ever, you, sh- you should ever expect them to join you at church. There's, uh, there's dinners out, there's uh, game nights, there's going to a movie, right? But if it's just, hey, we're the godly couple, and won't you come to church with us? I'm not, who, who's coming, right? Um, and so I think finding that common ground as a couple um, and really being there for each other as a couple is important. And I would add to that, um, I can't see you, Gabby, so if you were going to talk, I'm sorry. Um, I would add to that, you know, loving that, the other couple, serving the other couple, being friends with them, whether they ever change, whether they ever have a desire for spirituality, whether they ever go to church with you, um, you be the one in the relationship that, that leads and leads with love. I don't mean lead them to church. I mean lead them in love, lead them in serving, lead them in just being kind and gentle and being a friend. Just be a friend. Uh, I think we sometimes complicate uh, relationships too much. Uh, Just be a friend. Whether they ever express spiritual desires or growth or not, whether they do or not, just be a friend to them. I would say that I have very faithful friendships that have never walked in the door of a church. All right, we, we, again, that's another one we could talk about, but I want to get to another text that came in uh, here in this service. How can you have boundaries with parents that are hateful and toxic toward your spouse? It's, it's signed, Carla Beth. That was Carla Beth. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, Gabby, go ahead. I think the answer to this the context of whether your parents are physically around you and your spouse matters or if they're distanced. Uh, So if they are not living near you, they're not seeing the dynamic between you and your spouse, what are you sharing with them? Uh, And we addressed this a little bit in the first service with a different question, but they only know what they're being told. Uh, So just protect your marriage by only sharing the things that they need to know. And, you know, your parents don't always belong in the bedroom. They don't necessarily need to know every single 
nitpicky thing that's driving you nuts about your spouse because they're always going to take your side. His parents are probably always going to take his side. My mom's always going to take my side. So if I start complaining about things that he's doing, she's going to latch onto that and be like, yeah, he's so wrong. And probably same thing on the other side. Now, if they are physically around you and they're seeing things and being toxic and speaking that negative stuff, we got to put our big boy and girl panties on and have that conversation with our parents that this is between us. <laughs> I love you, but this, your opinion doesn't have a place here unless there's something dangerous going on in the relationship and that's what they're speaking to. And, and you've got to be the one to do that too. Like she, she said we, but if it's, it's the parents of whichever the toxic parents are, it's, you have to say that to your parents. You can't put your spouse in that position to say it for you. Or in my opinion, you can't even put her in the position of saying it with you. Like you owe that to her or him to go have that conversation and set that boundary um, because her doing it or her being part of it is only gonna make that worse and it's unfair. So, and that's tough. I mean, it, it would be very tough in certain circumstances, but, but it's on the, the son or daughter of the parents who are creating that environment. <laughs> well, my in-laws are over there. It's not about them, so it's fine. Um, no, I, I think just real quick, it won't, it's a really small thing, but we talked a lot about being careful with what you don't share to your in-laws or to your parents about this. I think just really quick, a practical thing is, man, next time you're talking to your parents or in-laws about your spouse, go out of your way to positively lift your spouse up to them. Be like, look, my wife has been doing so much around the house. She's been helping. Even when you really believe, man, my wife could be doing more, but, you know, or my husband could really be doing a little bit more in the kitchen. But it, it, take that time to tell yourself, I'm going to, as much as I can, positively lift up my spouse before my in-laws, before my parents, and show them, look, they are good to me. They love me. They're there for me. And eventually, if you're consistently saying that to them, and they're seeing it in the home and the way you're interacting with your spouse, eventually they're going to have to change their mind because they're not going to have any evidence to say otherwise. That's great. Anybody else comment? Okay. One other question came in during the first service, and it came in at the very end, and we were not able to get to it, and we're probably going to use this as the last question today, okay? Um, and it, it, it involves being married to someone who is struggling with traumatic memories. And they're having either, the details were not given in this, but they're either struggling with traumatic memories because of abuse, or they are struggling with traumatic memories because of some great loss. Uh, something has happened, and I guess it is that, that kind of trauma is bleeding over to the spouse, so the spouse is having to deal with that. And the question is, what do I do with that situation? It's really hard. Um, I definitely can speak to that. Number one, um, I'm sorry. I, I, I definitely want to just extend that, is that I'm, I'm sorry you're having to go through that because it's very difficult to watch someone that you love struggle in that way. Um, number two, just to give you a little bit about our history, um, if you call Forest Park Home, you've heard Scott talk a lot about his uh, background. And one of the first things that's so hilarious about when we met is that I, we were talking, you know, downtown Baton Rouge, we were talking to some college students, 
you know, about Jesus. And Scott and I didn't know each other. And Scott was talking to these guys that were playing basketball. And he was just talking, you know, Jesus is cool. Jesus is good. You know, all the stuff you say. I, I didn't actually to, say that. He wouldn't say that that way, but whatever. That's for you know, and, and I had just been paired with him because, I, you know, I was a girl. He was a guy. They didn't want me to walk off in downtown Baton Rouge by myself. And so he was, and he was like, an, he, he said to them, I'm 18 years old. I know how you feel. And in my mind, I'm like, he is lying to these kids. You know, he's supposed to be studying to be a pastor, and he is a liar. And so then we get back into the car, and I'm like, I appreciate all that stuff that you said to those people, but, you know, I'm not here for the lie. And um, he's like, no, I really am 18. And that started our relationship. Okay. Now, we eventually connected, and after we got married, um, I began to see things about him. And, and I'm saying all that part to say this. He was so good at maintaining the trauma on the outside that the stuff that was going on inside of him, nobody ever saw because he presented it with such maturity. And you can't live with someone and not know their struggles. You can't live with someone and not know what makes them hurt and what makes them angry. And so it was very difficult um, for me to, to watch that. But the question is, how do you help them? I think more times than not, and you can, you can help me with this, is that Scott did not even know that he was traumatized. He thought some of the things that he would just share with me were just like, whatever, but it's just a Tuesday, you know, that you would go to somebody's house and there would be, you know, this enraged, you know, moment that happened or, you know, some type of abusive situation. And I would be like, that is not okay. And he, that's just the way it was. And so it took a matter of me dialing back and saying, these are the things that I think we should deal with that seem to be hurting you. And it took a long time to get there. Yeah, I think, I know in my own life, um, I think Lana hit it very well with just thinking it was just another Tuesday. In my world, when I met her, and you're not here for my story, but this might help. When I met Lana, got a chance to get to know her family. Um, I had not ever seen a family function the way that their family did. So. Uh, to me, they were just uh, weird. And because uh, I just assumed that everybody went through life pretty much the way that I did. And, you know, you had stress and drama and issues and broken homes and, you know, all this stuff goes. And uh, she's right. I, I grew up in a church where I had to uh, pretty much, you know, uh, put that in a bag and, and set it to the side and act as if I had everything together. And I thought I did. And you heard this a little bit in the first uh, message in this series. I thought I had it all together until I got married and had to actually live with someone in an intimate environment. See, I grew up without a father, without a grandfather, without a brother or sister. So I was an only child. So nobody ever got that close to me. Well, then when I got married, I had to be close to someone. And then I no longer could fake it. I could fake it, but I couldn't fake it 24-7. I could only fake it in church. You know, I could only fake it around friends. But when you're married to someone, it's very difficult to fake. So it comes out. And uh, that, was some, that was some real drama. Yeah, so this isn't so much traumatic memories, but I think we certainly bring in the experiences of our childhood and, and growing up into the marriage. And um, 
Gabby was Gabby was very is very independent, but was certainly very independent when we started our relationship. You know, I'm exaggerating a little here, but if she had it her way when we started, I would have cooked my own food and cleaned up. She would have cooked her own food and cleaned up. I would have washed my clothes and she would have washed her clothes. And you know, we would just split the house right down the middle. And you know, it was just and and that was the product of she was she had a single mom, right? She never had a dad in the, in the picture, and so. Very different from my upbringing, but, but there was a lot of reconciliation that had to happen between us in terms of expectations of each other and of um, really complementing each other in, in our household and, and uh, weekly and monthly things that we were responsible for because her past and her, her upbringing and my past and my upbringing were so different that what we expected the things to be like and how we expected things to go was totally different. She, she uh, grew up with a mom who could do it, the mom and the dad job all by herself, right? right. And, and so she, she could too if she needed to. She didn't need me, right? Can, right. So um, I, I think that's important to recognize and notice kind of as part of this question. I think the only thing I really have to add is obviously it's important to be self-aware of these things. If you're in Scott's position coming from a traumatic experience or if you're in the spouse's position to be self-aware of your spouse that way too. Um, but you know, self-awareness like Scott talked about is things we know we know, which is like this big and the majority of the things in our life we're not aware of. So sometimes when people come around us and say, like Landon did with Scott, this is not normal. That is not the situation, but it's not enough just to stay there. We have to work through it and honestly, I'll be honest with some of you who are dealing with this in your marriages, a very practical thing is you may have to get your spouse into counseling, into some therapy to uh, unearth those emotional scars, those baggages that they're carrying around that they're not aware of. Uh, I talked to in the middle of our, uh, the service with a volunteer of ours and talked about the shared experience of losing our fathers at a young age. And there are things, when I lost my dad six years ago, even six years later now, I know there are emotional baggages and scars that I have not even touched yet in six years. And so, you know, there are going to be things that you're going to either you know, go to paid therapy, come here and talk with some of the pastors and get counseling. But that's going to be maybe one of the steps they have to take to work through those things. And the fact is, you know, we talk a lot in church about being spiritually healthy. And I, I want to make sure you understand being spiritually healthy is great, but God also wants you emotionally and mentally healthy, too. He's not just interested in you being spiritually healthy. He wants you healthy in all areas of your life. And so if you're spiritually healthy, come to church, raise your hands. But emotionally, you're dealing with baggage. God wants you to work through that. He wants you to find freedom from those things you've experienced and traumas in your life. That's good. Um, and I think, too, something that Preston and I have dealt with is I have a lot of insecurities. And um, he went... Amen. Okay. Um, he went... He went to our pastor at our former church and said, you know, she's dealing with some things that I feel like I can't really help her with. Like her insecurities are her own. She has to work through those. And, and the pastor was like, um, actually, when you said I do on June 2nd, you married her insecurities as well. Like you have to help her through those. Like now you are one and the insecurities that she struggles with, you have to help her through that. And so I think knowing that you are there as their spouse to help them truly mean that. Like when you said I do, you married all of them, bags and all. So help them carry that luggage. Help them work through those issues. And you know, like Lana said, like there are things that they may bring up that may just be casual, but to me, like they're actually not casual. Like these are issues that we need to talk through. And maybe they don't know that that's something they need to do. So 
just making sure that you are there for them and supporting them and what they need, but also being able to tell them what they need when they can't see it for themselves. That's good. Let's bring this down. Um, I'm going to comment on something Carla Beth just said regarding uh, when you marry someone, um, you inherit the bags that person carries. So if you happen to be dating someone right now, or you are thinking about getting engaged, or you are engaged, please make sure you're okay with taking all their bags home, okay? Make sure you're all right, because you will own those bags. And if you say, I love the person, but I just cannot deal with his issues, his past, his, I just want you to know, you, you and I've said this is almost a, I uh, said the statement over and over again here at Forest Park because I wanted to really get down deep. We walk down the aisle with um, a, a, a presentation, but you go home with reality. And that's who you live with. You gotta live with the real person, okay? And we can all put on the stuff on the outside and it, it, you know, we're, we, we can present ourselves a certain way, but you can't fake it 24 seven. You can't fake it living with someone all the time. And you better be okay marrying the bags because they all come with it, okay? I just want you to know that. And I've seen that over and over and over again. And uh, it, it's tough, real tough. Guys, we are, uh, let, me, let me address one thing and then we're gonna, we're gonna close. Um, it's possible you're new here to Forest Park. Maybe this is your first time in a long time or maybe you've never been here before. And you're thinking, where, where was the sermon today? You know, I thought I was gonna get a, you know, preach to. Um, we are really passionate. One of our values at Forest Park, in fact, our mission statement says to help uh, people follow Jesus one step at a time. And this is the stuff we deal with in counseling. This is the stuff we deal with when we sit down with people over a cup of coffee or something. How do I deal with my friendships? What do I do in my marriage? How do I deal with my in-laws? You know, what do I do with my, my parents? These are the practical everyday living situations that we have to walk through. To me, this is some of the stuff that it means to walk one step at a time following Jesus because you gotta live it out. You gotta live it out. And we wanna help you do that. We don't wanna just come in here and inspire you. We wanna give you information so that you can be different and think differently. And when you think differently, you act differently. And uh, that's what we're trying to do here to help. So it's kind of a different style of sermon, if you will, to try to help you with that, okay? And one more thing, and we're gonna pray. Next week, we're beginning a new series called Mood Swings. And Mood Swings is all about emotional health. And we're gonna be dealing with uh, take control of your emotions and find joy. So we're gonna be talking about emotions, emotional health, what does scripture say about that? What does Jesus have to say about emotions? How do we know if we're healthy emotionally? How do we not know if we're healthy? So, you know, it's a great time to bring a friend who you think is just a crazy person off their rocker emotionally, bring them in. Don't tell them what we're talking about. Just to, to bring them in. So, you know. But uh, anyway, it's going to be good. I'm looking forward to this series. I think it's going to be helpful, practical, challenging, encouraging, informational. It's just going to be an awesome series. And we're beginning that next Sunday morning mood swings. You'll see more of that online as we advertise it this week and talk about it. And we'd love to have you back with us. All right, let me pray. We're going to dismiss. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all this information we've given, uh, this advice that we've collected over years and years of, of marriage and raising kids and church and uh, falling on our face and having to get back up and figuring out why did we trip, it, it experience, and trying to give it to as many people as we possibly can so they can apply it to their lives and learn it now.
and not have to go through all the trauma, not have to go through all the pain that so many of us have experienced. Thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion. Thank you for this church, this band, our volunteers and children, our First Impressions team, our tech team, everybody who's been here today. It's just been an amazing day, and we thank you, we honor you, and we are excited about the new series as we kick it off next week and help people become more emotionally healthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Have an incredible day. Thank you so much for being with us.